You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of James. Here's Nate. Well, as we turn to James chapter 1, verse 19, we need to remember that James was a man who understood the potential of the power of the Word of God in an individual person's life. You might remember there that in the Gospels, Jesus' most famous parable was the one in which he shared concerning the four different types of soil. He would talk to the crowds of the sower going out and sowing the seed. Some of it fell upon hard ground on the wayside, and the birds of the air came and snatched up the seed immediately. Another seed fell upon stony ground, where it sprang up quickly, but then withered away and died. And some fell upon ground with thorns and thistles and weeds and was choked out as it attempted to grow. But some fell on good ground, where it bore fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Privately, the disciples had asked Jesus, what does this parable mean? And he said, the sower sows the word. Now, those who hear the word, but there's no room in their hearts to even entertain it, that's the birds of the air, Satan coming and snatching and eating up the word of God that has been scattered in their hearts immediately. There's no response whatsoever. Their heart is so hard. And then others they receive it. It seems as if something is happening, but there are major stones, obstacles in the way that get in the way of the word actually taking serious root inside of their lives. And then there are others who they do receive it. It does take some root, but the thorns and thistles and weeds represent, Jesus said, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, and they choke out the fruitfulness of the word of God. But those who hear it and receive it and believe it, the good soil, it bears incredible fruit. James had heard that parable, understood that parable, was obviously very in tune with his older brother's uh, ministry and teaching. And so he here I think in his mind is thinking about that as he pens this next section in his epistle, basically an exhortation on how to receive the word of God really well. And why, of course, would he put this section at this moment in his epistle? Well, I think number one, because anytime you talk about trials, or temptation. There are those who are preparing their hearts or are tempted to tune you out. But secondly, James knows that he's about to say some very serious things and give strong exhortations in the letter that is to follow this section. And so rather than just saying it, he says, hey, let's take a moment to consider how to prepare our hearts to receive uh, the word of God. And, and so he says in verse 19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away, verse 21, all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. 
I think quite often when we read some of these phrases, we take them in complete isolation. You know, a phrase like, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We take those statements in isolation, and it is good to be a person who, in general, is quick to hear, in general, is slow to speak, in general, is slow to anger. But I think it's important to state that James seems to be throwing this into the context of the reception of the word of God. He says, verse 21, receive with meekness the implanted word. This is specifically an exhortation on how to receive the Bible, partly through your own personal reading, but how have most people throughout the ages interacted with the word of God? Well, they've interacted with it from the preaching and the teaching of God's word. Uh, faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. And so it seems that James, you know, after talking about temptation, realizes, well, hey, people need to have the word of God. That's how Jesus overcame temptation. He continually said to Satan, it is written. But so often our ears are closed to receiving the word of God. We show up at church and we're not ready. Our hearts are not prepared. Our Bibles are not open. Our hearts are not open. Our pens are not moving. We're not thinking. We're not engaging. We open up the Bible to read it personally, and we're reading it like we would not read any other book. We're reading it expecting something to magically pop out and hit us or some audible voice to be spoken to us rather than just applying our minds and thinking. And we live in this world, by the way, now that I'm talking about such things, we live in a world that is training our brains to think in a very ineffective way uh, that would actually hinder us from getting into the Word of God. In order to receive from God's Word, you have to be able to listen and focus. You have to stay in one place for a period of time. You have to allow yourself to be free from distraction. And I would say that the printed word enables us to do that. But the digital word, the internet, so often the way that everything is written, it's designed to be a distracting thing. There's a hyperlink here. There's an ad over there. There's a movie to click on over here. There's so much visual noise. And you're making, as you read, millions of decisions about what to click on, not to click on, what to look up, what to read, all these different things. We're being trained, I think, so often by the internet to be a distracted people. And the, not to be too extreme about it, but what is the one thing that God wants us to set our minds upon? His word, his truth. What's the one thing Satan does not want us to set our minds upon? God's word, God's truth. So I think in one sense, you could almost say, that the internet in itself, the way that it presents itself, training our minds to be distracted. And then when we carry that into our reading of the Bible, our minds are so distracted, you could almost say that the internet is one of the greatest enemies of a Christian just from the standpoint of it can train our minds to think about things 
in the wrong way, where we're not focused. We're not able to really glean from God's word. I hope I'm making sense. I'm not trying to say that everything in the internet is bad or anything like that. It can be a wonderful tool. I'm just saying that covertly, there's also this thing that's happening to our brains with the way that we learn. And God wants us to be a people who are, when we approach the Bible, there is a quickness to hear. There's this eagerness about us as we receive the word of God. He says, be quick to hear. All right. And to, to, to just have this passion as you're coming and approaching the Bible, I'm rushing to scripture. He says, be slow to speak. You know, so often we'll hear the truth and we want to argue with it immediately. You know, we've got our own, uh, things that we'd like to input. We've got our own opinions, our own interpretations, our own excuses for why we're not doing such and such a thing. Instead of just letting the word of God settle inside of our hearts. You know, the truth is, is that you are being preached at constantly, most notably from yourself. And as the word of God is going out, whether it's from your pastor or from a podcast or just yourself, as you're sitting there reading the word of God, studying it for yourself, there is this tendency as that transaction is happening for us to be quick to speak. And God says, be slow to speak. Just be silent and, and listen. I think Elijah had to learn that lesson in 1 Kings chapter 19 as he was running from Jezebel and continually saying to the Lord, I'm the only one, I'm the only one, I'm the only one. And finally God spoke to him, not in the earthquake and not in the fire and not in the whirlwind, but God spoke to him in a low whisper, a still small voice. You have to be quiet to just hear from the Lord, slow to speak. And when God finally had his chance, when Elijah closed his mouth and opened his ears, God announced to Elijah, there are 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You're not the only one. You keep saying you're the only one, but if you would just be slow to speak, I'd have a chance to tell you that you are not. And so to receive the word well, we have to be eager, quick to hear, but also we have to receive it without interruption. When I read the Bible myself personally, I try to read it in a in an environment without distraction to be uh, away from internet enabled devices to be in a place that I'm familiar with uh with sounds that I'm familiar with music I'm familiar with because and I just don't want to have distraction and I know that my heart is so ready to just go in another direction but God wants to speak to me he says also slow to anger slow to anger so often the word of God will produce anger inside of our lives. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. Hebrews 4 verse 12. And so rather than being angry at the truth that's presented, we should mourn over it if it's worth mourning over. Matthew 5 verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. My wife and I had an experience recently where I was sharing with my daughters just some concerns and I was very jovial about it, kind about it. There was a, really, it was kind of one of those moments. There was no anger. It wasn't a responsive thing to any particular thing they'd done at that moment. It was just an accumulative thing. And so I was just sharing with them. And there was this real sadness that came over them. And as a parent, the first response is you kind of want to rush in and say, oh, no, I'm sorry. It's not that big of a deal. But to step back and say, 
No, this is actually a good thing. You're experiencing some brokenheartedness over that reality that's been presented to you. And there are times I've had to do the same thing. That is good. That's a good experience. And what he announces is that he says, when you get angry, as the word is presented, he says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You're not going to get anywhere, James is saying. If you're wrongfully angry over what the word says, there's no righteousness that will be produced. It's wrong to be angry at God or angry at his word or angry at his messenger. There are times that it's right to be angry at the self. That will get us somewhere because it means that we've heard the word of God. And so, like I said, I know oftentimes we read these phrases, quick to hear, slow to speak. We read them in the sense of, oh, I want to be a person that listens to others more and, and that I don't speak so quickly when people are talking with me and, and all of that. And those are great lessons to learn. And there are certainly wonderful proverbs, especially that would deal with that in the Old Testament. But I think James here is saying, listen, if you want to be that fourth kind of soil that brings forth fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold, you got to rush to the word of God. You have to silence your arguments when you approach the word of God. And you've got to refuse to be angry over what is presented, but receive it. So he says, therefore, verse 21, put away, put away, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. You just put it away. You get done with it. You put away those obstacles, those things that cripple the word of God. How many times I've heard someone say, I'm just not getting anything out of it. There's nothing being said to me. It doesn't mean much to me. I'm trying. I'm there. I'm reading. I'm trying to journal. I'm trying to hear, but there's nothing. And then I ask one question about some area of potential sin in their life. And there it is, this huge obstacle. First things first, put it away and God will open his mouth and your ears will be unblocked and unplugged and you'll start to receive something from his word. Put it away and receive, he says, verse 21, with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. I think it's so fascinating there in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 3 when little boy Samuel was in the house of Eli. And in the middle of the night, he hears the voice of the Lord for the first time, Samuel. He'd never heard the Lord before, an audible version of God's voice as some of the priests in that era were prone to hear. And so he ran to Eli. Yes, master, what did you want? Eli says, I didn't call you. Again, he lies down. Samuel, the Lord says. He runs to Eli again. Oh, it's Eli, what is it that you want? He says, I didn't call you, Samuel. Go back to bed. Samuel, then for a third time, hears the voice of the Lord, Samuel. And Samuel goes to Eli again. And Eli then finally realizes, oh, this isn't him just having a dream or being mistaken. He's hearing God, but he just doesn't know it. And so he says, now, Samuel, go back and lie down. And if he calls you, say, yes, Lord, your servant hears. That's a thing where you're saying, Listen, I want to hear your voice because I want to serve you. I want to do whatever you say I should do. That's receiving with meekness the implanted word. When someone's lifted up with the pride of intellectualism or accomplishments or self-wisdom or lust or greed, when those obstacles are present and they're not able to meekly come under the authority of the word of God, 
they can't expect to hear the word of God, but to, to, to approach the word. As you're driving to church on a Sunday morning, saying to yourself, you know, Lord, I don't even know what's going to happen today. I don't even know what you're going to say. I don't know what's going to be submitted or spoken or postulated on. But Lord, I want to obey you. I want to submit to your word. I want to meekly come under and be bridled by the authority of your word. Meekly receiving the implanted word. Now in verse 22, he gives really a couple of examples of receiving the word of God. He says in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so to approach the word, you've got to have a real honesty within your heart. Notice what he says there in verse 22. It's potential, it's possible to deceive yourself. If you're a person who doesn't do the word, but is a hearer only, and man, we've all been there. He says, don't do that because if you do, you're deceiving yourself. If you're a hearer without doing, you are deceiving yourself. Self-deception is the problem, James says, of the hearers only kind of person. In other words, I mean, let me make this point biblically. It is more dangerous to hear and not obey than to have never heard. I mean, the person who has great information from the Lord and has great revelation and does not submit to the revelation they've received, they face a stricter judgment. Jesus said, woe to you, Bethsaida, woe to you, Capernaum, woe to you, Chorazin. He pronounced woes upon these towns because they had seen the work of Christ. They'd received much more than the towns of Tyre and Sidon and Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament era had ever received. And all those towns had been destroyed by God. Uh, for rejecting the smaller revelation that they had received. And so he pronounced a stern warning. It's more dangerous to hear and not do than to have never heard. And the thing is, is that a lot of times our hearing of the word often makes us feel a sense of accomplishment. You know, good sermon that really spoke to me kind of thing. Great points, you know, or whatever. And I know what this is like. I, I love listening to Bible teaching. I mean, my goodness, this teaching I'm delivering here today is designed to become a podcast, a, a website, you know, enable you to take it wherever you go. And I am doing this because that's been the practice of my own life. I love having Bible teaching, whether it's on the radio or in my car or on my mobile device, whatever it might be. I enjoy receiving the word of God in that kind of way. And I've gone with various pastors through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and have so enjoyed 
receiving those studies. And there is a sense in which we just need the word of God to wash over our hearts, grow us. We need to be transformed by the perspectives and the truths that are found therein. We need to present our minds to the Lord, our bodies to the Lord, that they might be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need to do all of that absolutely. But if we just get a sense of conviction, when that moment comes in the word of God and we have a sense of conviction, it really isn't producing anything. It's not until that conviction leads to obedience. And so James says, don't be a hearer only without a doer. And he tells us, he says, you know, self-deception is actually pretty comical. He says, it's like a person who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror and then goes away and forgets what he was like. He looks intently, James says. It's not a casual glance. He looks deeply and leaves. And if you were to show that man a photograph of himself, he would not know who it is that he's looking at. That's just wild. I mean, that just would not happen. But that's what it's like when you're convicted over the word of God as you hear it, but then you don't do it. You have that brand of self-deception or blindness upon your life. And so James tells us, you know, that's what happens when a person looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that's the gospel, another phrase for the gospel. When he looks in it, and he perseveres, verse 25, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, there's a blessing that's found in being that person who acts and moves forward. So notice a couple of things. First of all, there's an intent look into the word of God, isn't there? This man looks intently at himself. He looks at himself in a mirror. He looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. He looks into the mirror, the mirror of God's word, by the way. You know, it reveals things about us. But as we look into it and as we observe it, we see the truth for what and who we truly are. There's no photoshopping that image. And as it reveals maybe some imperfections or some flaws, we can grow as we look into it by obedience. And so I would say at this point, honestly approach the word of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. You know, just unveil your face first of all. Give before the Lord with total honesty. Behold the glory of the Lord. He says, that's Jesus. Spend time with Christ. Behold him and his word. And watch your life become transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And persevere in it. Perseveringly apply God's word. I mean, that's such a wonderful word for it because countless times have I seen something in God's word, wanted to apply it to my life, had a minor perhaps application, come across that same thought, that same truth, that same brand of exhortation and realize my deep need to apply that once again in my life. And as I do, the Lord grows me, the Lord shapes me, but it takes 
perseverance, James announced that man will be blessed. Now in verse 26 and 27, James gives us three wonderful examples of the kind of fruit that will come out of the person's life who meditates upon the word, who receives the word well. The first thing that we'll see in a person like that in this illustration is that verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. One of the first things that we see is that when a person obeys the word of the Lord, looks into it, is in fellowship and step with Christ, they begin to have, number one, controlled speech. Controlled speech. Now, you know, at first glance, that doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but it's a very big deal. James will deal with this more fully in James chapter 3. But controlled speech is really, in one sense, you can make the case, the final frontier of Christian obedience. You know, you operate in the spirit, you walk with the Lord, you have the fruit of the spirit coming out of your life, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. That's the final thing that's mentioned. Final thing. What's the hardest thing to get self-control in? So it's kind of like what I'm saying is, it's kind of like self-control is the final thing that happens, the final evidence of fruit in a person's life. But what's the final area that we often get self-control in? Well, our speech, our mouths, the things that we say about other people. We live in this reckless information age. So often saying things that we should not say, that we don't want to say. So to control our speech. That's what happens with a person who prepares their heart to receive the word of God. They will ultimately become a person who is able to control their speech. Then number two, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So another example of what happens to a person who receives the word of God well is that they become a person who love practically through their lives, actually do something to help People who are in affliction, people who are hurting, specifically here, orphans and widows in their affliction. And notice this, he says, you know, it's pure and undefiled religion before God the Father. So you're hanging out with God and his word and you discover, oh, God, he's a father. He cares about his children. And so he cares about the father less. He cares about the orphan. He cares about the widow. That's who God is. So I want to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Just a powerful, uh, not just exhortation, but evidence of a person who has interacted well with the word of God. And this is such a fascinating thing to me, in part because orphans and widows are caused by the death of men, but also the sin of men in particular. I know many women who their husbands never died, but it's as, it's as if they died. They spiritually died. They vacated the premises and abandoned their wife, abandoned their family, creating orphans and widows in effect. And so it's fascinating here. You have practical ministry to children 
and to women. And then finally, he says, another evidence of a person who has interacted well with the word of God is to keep oneself unstained from the world. So it's not just a person who says, well, you know, I'm into social justice and helping orphans and widows. That's a wonderful thing. But this person also says, I want to have a personal purity in my life, an inward holiness in my life. Keep myself unstained from the world. This is the fruit of a real relationship with the word. And the word of God sets us free. The word of God does such wonderful things in our lives. And I hope that you have a strong concept of the power of the word of God inside of our lives. The potential is grand. Nothing needs to change about the seed. The only thing that needs to be changed is the soil of our hearts. Make sure that your heart is as ready as possible every time you receive the word of God. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Receive with meekness the implanted word and watch God do an amazing work in your life. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.